Welcome to Eating Disorders Awareness Week 2023. This is Barry Murphy. Our theme this year is Breaking the Stigma, Diverse Male Experiences with Eating Disorders and Body Image. In this episode, we're talking about how men have shared their experiences on the social media platform YouTube. My name is Kate Malova, and I'm a clinical assistant professor at Simon Business School, University of Rochester. I teach professional communication classes, and I also conduct research in the areas of health communication and organizational communication. So I use both qualitative and quantitative methods to examine interactions between um, human health, communication processes, and also um, different structural determinants um, of health. And we're talking today about your research article, which is an analysis of men's eating disorders as documented or shared on YouTube. And before we talk about that, it's often said the the number of men experiencing eating disorders and body image issues and body dissatisfaction has been increasing. Um, Yes, research shows that and uh, the influence of social media is, is hard to underestimate nowadays. So recent research shows that men have become increasingly preoccupied with weight and body size. And so they use different kinds of um, unhealthy strategies to become fitter and slimmer. And the second problem is that eating disorders in men are surrounded by stigma and gender stereotypes. So many people, basically including men themselves, thinks that, that um, think that it is a girl's disease, not a man's disease. And so based on those um, stereotypes, only a fraction of men really seek medical treatment for eating disorders. So the kind of um, the problem is multilayered. You touched on social media. So that that is often criticized for its impact on mental health, including body image and eating disorders. There is another aspect to it, which is, is people sharing their experiences, including eating disorders and how did you come to research this area and what what did you do to explore it? Um, yeah, so it all started in 2018 when I joined a PhD program at the University of Miami. And I was interested in the area of health communication in general. And my one of my mentors at that time, uh, Victoria, Dr. Victoria Arago, who is a co-author on the paper that we discussed today, uh, she was working on a project in the area of eating disorders in females. So she conducted a study at a treatment center in Miami. And uh, there was a sample size of uh, women diagnosed, clinically diagnosed with eating disorders. And so she was uh, trying to understand uh, understand the role of uh, different types of messages that they received from family members, from siblings, from peers, so from people in their environment, and to see how those messages really influence the onset of of eating disorders, the kind of what triggered um, the onset of eating disorders. Um, there was a, you know, the paper is published online. It's called The Role of Hurtful and Healing Messages on Eating Disorder Symptomology and Recovery. And again, the sample, the sample size was, um, uh, you know, a number of females. And we found that, you know, three themes overlapping across all groups, uh, they revealed for hurtful messages. So critical messages, um, social modeling, and also direct comparison. 
I was uh, doing the analysis and I was doing the literature review, looking at different studies posted online. And I realized that there was a really huge discrepancy between the amount of research on eating disorders in males and females. So basically all of the studies that I found online were focusing solely on eating disorders in females. So I, you know, we had a conversation and um, I offered to start another project that I was leading to find more about the problems that men face uh, in the same, you know, with the same issue with eating disorders. And so, yeah, she was on board and I was thinking about different kind of approaches to recruit participants because participant recruitment is always the biggest problem uh, in research, right? So if you want to access a hard to reach population, then you really need to be very creative in how you approach them. And so I was looking for information online. I was thinking about contacting people from different nonprofit organizations. But then I came across this videos posted on YouTube and videos titled My Eating Disorder Story or Boys Can Have Anorexia Too. They're really common on YouTube. Through storytelling, men reflect on their experiences of fighting eating disorders um, on different triggering factors and share their personal stories with the public. When you work with, again, with hard to reach population, finding those stories online is a, is a really big plus. So you can access, get access to the population without really kind of bothering people or, you know, building connections with different organizations, which is great, but then it takes time. And so that's how it all started. I decided, you know, that we can try and analyze those videos, um, that it can be a great entry project that would lead us to something else. And what did you identify as the main themes and findings in your research? Yes. Um, So we were looking for um, triggering factors and also barriers preventing men from seeking help. Those were the two major research questions. We conducted thematic analysis. So basically analyzing the data qualitatively. And our thematic analysis revealed three major themes related to triggering factors. First, it was bullying a very prominent theme. More than half of individuals in the videos reported being, let's say, overweight in school or college and described being criticized and bullied by their peers. So those social relationships were not really great for them. And then they were coping using by engaged in unhealthy eating. Then the second theme was drive for muscularity. So the root cause of this condition was attributed to the influence of media but also interpersonal difficulties. And so basically having unhealthy relationships with peers or family members or uh, being influenced by images on social media uh, would also trigger the unhealthy behaviors in terms of eating. And then the last thing was self-regulation. And this is just the idea of total discipline and staying in control of the basic human need, like food is a basic human need. And uh, men would report using it as a coping mechanism, again, to deal with certain difficult situations in their lives. And we also identify three themes related to barriers, preventing men from seeking help, shame and stigma, lack of knowledge and information, and also low level of perceived doctor-patient communication. So those were the main findings, the main themes. And uh, a lack of satisfaction in peer and romantic relationships was a key part of men's experiences and interpersonal communication is linked to self-improvement. This seems particularly interesting because of the the social difficulties that have previously come up in in 
eating disorder research, particularly prior to the onset of illness and then whilst living with it? Yes, uh, the most prominent reasoning behind the drive for masculinity in our research, um, I believe it was reported by 11 participants, was the attempt to make friends and save or improve relationships with uh, romantic partners. So some of the quotes were, the only person I was close to was my partner at the time. I had issues with my insecurities, so I decided to lose weight and become healthy to help our relationships. So participants would, you know, either they would uh, want to make friends or mend their relationships with peers, sometimes family members. Um, and we all cope with social difficulties in different ways, right? So some people just are social butterflies. They are, don't have any concerns in terms of, you know, those relationships. And then um, others really struggle with social anxiety or bullying. And some men develop eating disorders because eating disorder is a mental disease. So many people forget about it. You cannot just tell someone with an ED to stop eating or eat more. It just doesn't work like that, right? We all know that. But this coping mechanism, again, coping with social difficulties would, would um, trigger the onset of eating disorders. That's what we found. What was your sense of the, the motivation for men to, to post his experience on, on YouTube? Yeah, that's really, uh, it's a really good question. And I wish I could ask them directly. Um, one of the limitations of, of this research is we didn't have a chance to conduct any, any interviews or uh, kind of follow up on the information posted. But my idea is that uh, first, it might help other men struggling with ED. And so altruism is very likely to be a strong motivation. We see it in, in research in other areas. And also uh, reading through the comments posted online in the comment session, section on YouTube, it's obvious that the support received from the online community is really strong. So in everyday life, we rely on different sources of social support on our friends, uh, family members, colleagues, peers, but sometimes it's not enough. So, or it's it's not easily accessible. And online environment gives us access uh, to a whole new area of social support, a new world of social support. We meet people who struggle with the same issues. We learn from them. We receive new information, or sometimes it's just enough to know that you're not alone. Um, so I think that you know, that was another reason. But honestly, I would I would really lo love to ask uh, them directly, and maybe in my future studies, I would have a chance to do, to do that. Can you describe the barriers to recovery, shame, and and stigma, and a lack of knowledge and information seems to be a significant issue as well. Uh, men do their best to hide eating disorders. So individuals from all twenty five videos, we have a sample size of twenty five. Uh, people, 25 videos, all of them mentioned a girl's disease label attached to eating disorders. Since it's a mental health issue, um, and so it's a very personal thing, it's hard to for men to come out and admit that they have it, have it because it's a girl's disease with um, stigma and label attached to it. As uh, one man stated in the videos, it needs a lot of courage and seems to be much easier for females than for manly men. So in terms of knowledge, more than half of uh, people from the videos reported that they had no knowledge about symptomology, about manifestation or consequences of eating disorders. Again, it might be that you know, we think that it is more female disease. And sometimes we also think that it's 
uh, rich white girl disease, not something that would affect um, a manly man. And then lack of knowledge uh, is a big problem. So better education in terms of healthy eating, exercising behaviors is essential for young men's well-being and prevention of eating disorders. The number of information sources and services for men um, is critically low. It's but a bit better nowadays with access to you know, different sources of online information. But again, it's critically low in comparison to sources available for females. And males and females, they need different approach. Right? So it's, it's not the same. And also, you know, organizations like yours take this burden of providing access to resources and information, but it's not enough. We need more of that. We need doctors, um, you know, providing knowledge to a male population. We need researchers working more in this area because there is some research in eating disorders in the area of nursing and then, you know, in the medical area, in the area of communication, but it's really scattered. So I wouldn't say that there is one prominent scholar that works in this area, right? And we need more research uh, like that to find more information, to do intervent interventions and to collaborate to really make a difference. That's interesting because I recorded another episode and in that paper, it talks about how the field of sociology has not kept up with what's happening in eating disorders. So as you say, sometimes things are, are quite scattered. And... Yes, and yeah, you're right. And we need more interdisciplinary research because nowadays, uh, as researchers, we try to achieve that. So we try to collaborate with colleagues from other areas, right? Let's say as a health communication researcher, I come from communication, but I work with um, you know medical doctors who also you know help people in a different way. And so by building those uh, collaborations, so we can really create those interventions that help people. So you're absolutely right. We need more interdisciplinary research um, to make it less scattered and more like use it in a, in a holistic way. And to, to quote your study here, so there's a quote. Our results indicate that the concept of coping in the context of eating disorders in males activates the non-adaptive behavior of excessive self-regulation in response to taxing environmental demands exceeding men's resources, which I think really summarizes what we've discussed so far. Yes, um, exactly. It's a coping mechanism. Um, people can develop eating disorders because they are dealing with difficult situations in their lives, different types of situations. They cannot control some aspect of their lives, whether it's social, financial, or something else, but they can control food. They can't control the amount of food that they consume, right? Um, and so I remember one of the uh, men in the videos, he said that it gives you such a um, kind of good feeling that you control at least something in your life, that you're staying in control of food, um, which is a, you know, natural um, natural resource, right, for, uh, for humans. So this feeling of staying in control is really important. And again, it's a mental disease. So many people, you know, don't think about it in this way. Um, we can just cannot tell someone to stop eating or eat more. It doesn't work like that. And many people with eating disorders, they also struggle with major depressive disorder, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, social phobias. So they need professional help. And it's not help from, sometimes it's not help from 
one specific physician or you know one specific uh, resource. Um, it might require a team of professionals depending on the diagnosis, and it can be really difficult to access and you know kind of understand what's going on. So yeah, it's a coping mechanism uh, based on different uh, problems in everyday lives, social, financial, or any other aspect that is problematic at this point. And has there been any feedback since your study was published? I had several researchers reaching out to me uh, saying that they either work or plan to work in this area. Um, the link to the article has been shared on Twitter several times by different people and organizations. And also it received some positive feedback from Academy of um, Eating Disorders in the United States, which is, I was presenting this findings there. So we had a really uh, nice conversation with people from different fields working in the same area. And everybody you know, agree that we need more research uh, like that in, in different disciplines to really make a difference because this study is really exploratory. Uh, more interventions would be necessary to make a difference. And what are you recommending for future research? First of all, future studies may consider focusing on one specific type of eating disorders because this study, I didn't have a chance to break it down into different types um, because, you know, in the videos, in the most videos, men would specifically identify the type of eating disorder, but not in all um, all the videos. So I would recommend exploring one specific type and see the barriers um, and the triggers for development of the eating disorder disorders. Uh, I would also recommend using interview process. So this. The kind of study that we conducted is also qualitative, but I feel like through interviews, you can really get to the core of the problem. You can ask questions more specifically, and then it will help clarify certain issues. I'd love to do this kind of research in the future if I have access to a group of men willing to contribute their time and share their stories. So that's kind of the next step that I'm thinking about. I also consider contacting um, individuals from the videos to confirm information posted online and to compare their interpretations um, through follow-up interviews because the way I interpreted um, might be different from what they really wanted to convey to the public. It will also help to get some additional demographic information, um, which is essential for further analysis because what I see um, in, in the research is that there are, there are plenty of studies, well, not plenty of studies, but more studies in young men than in mature men. Let's say in our research, um, we don't know the age exactly, but our best guess is that they were all younger than 35. So future studies should pay more attention to eating disorder development and treatment in mature men because this area is even more limited. And then I would say, since research shows that less information can be found in the existing literature about the motivation for treatment and recovery in males, future studies should also explore motivational factors um, to enroll in treatment. So it's kind of the, the next step, right? Uh, what is the motivation to enroll in treatment and seek uh, recovery? And I assume that I mean, I don't know, but I guess that social support might actually be one of those factors. And towards the, the end of your study, there's a mention of this idea of shared decision making between doctors, say, in the medical team and the person who is ill. 
Yes, uh, it's a big topic. Shared decision making and doctor-patient communication, not only for eating disorders, but I feel like it's it's especially important in this area. There are two basic approaches to doctor-patient communication. One is a um, um, standard paternalistic approach, when the doctor is, takes all the control and then basically gives you the prescription and um, tells you to follow the recommendations. Right? And then you, as a passive receiver of the instructions, you follow the recommendations. And well, the idea is that doctor knows better because uh, they have a certain level of education and experience, then you follow the instructions and then you get better. It doesn't always work like that because people don't perceive treatment only in terms of right medications. They also perceive treatment in terms of everyday life, their routine, their responsibilities. So more modern approach is called uh, shared decision-making approach where you have a conversation with your doctor and you have the same amount of power and control in a relationship. Doctor, Your doctor has the expertise, but then you are the kind of receiver of the treatment and you have certain issues in your life, you have certain responsibilities. You might not be able um, to travel far, let's say, to receive a treatment, or you might need to take your children to school every morning, then, you know, those kind of everyday routine might uh, might affect your treatment plan. So what you need to do is you need to have a, a conversation with your doctor where you have the same amount of power and come up with the best solution, the solution that would work for your doctor in terms of, you know, the effectiveness of the treatment and also for you as a recipient of the treatment. Doctors working with uh, men, suffering from eating disorders should be empathetic and they should understand specific issues common for this population. Also, the treatment plan has to take into account individual needs of person because no treatment plan happens in a vacuum, as I mentioned before. It depends on everyday needs and responsibilities. And that's what basically shared decision-making is about. Ideally, it has to be present in, in, in every doctor-patient interaction, but in reality, it does not happen um, that often. It is something if, for example, if we were asked by a journalist or the media about recovery, we we try and say it's really important that the person has a voice in that that discussion because they they, they should be able to say, well, OK, this isn't working. Can we try something else? Yeah. And many exactly. You're right. And many doctors just um, they stick to their prescriptions so they know that you know this medication works right or this treatment plan works and as i said before uh, sometimes it requires a really a big team of professionals if the person is diagnosed with multiple issues so what what doctors need to know is that they need might need to work in not only in collaboration with the patient but also in collaboration with other professionals involved in the process and it requires teamwork and a lot of coordination and uh, obviously shared decision making so you're absolutely right a uh, patient needs to have a voice in in the conversation about the treatment to get better and the because you've used the word interdisciplinary do you think is there another area of health where they are they have done that better maybe that the area of eating disorders could learn from probably so right now i work also in the area of um, type 1 diabetes. And so I am I'm looking into issues that uh, students with type 1 diabetes have transitioning from 
school to college. So they move to a whole different environment. Um, they become independent. They cannot rely on their parents anymore. And so this big shift shift comes with certain health issues that they encounter. It, it's a, a whole new um, social supporting environment. So they are, become disconnected from their previous uh, physicians. They become disconnected from their family. If let's say they move uh, across state or to a different you know, country, uh, to a different state. Um, and then, you know, it, it becomes really difficult for them to control uh, type 1 diabetes. And what I see in the literature and the research is that people from different areas come together and work on this issue. Let's say, you know, people from communication, but also from nursing, from uh, medical field, from sociology, um, even from from technology, right? Since, you know, type 1 diabetes, diabetes is controlled from, uh, by certain devices. So people from those fields, they come together and they do this interdisciplinary research to improve lives of people living with type 1 diabetes and also to, to improve the uh, control of the disease and also to improve the quality of life. So it's kind of one example that come to mind since I work in this area, uh, but, you know, I know that other other areas also kind of benefit from interdisciplinary research. And is there anything else you wish to share? Yeah, I just hope that uh, researchers, including myself, will keep exploring this area in collaboration with physicians to come up with viable and holistic approach to target this problem. I also encourage men with eating disorders to seek help, whether it's online or offline, because Eating disorder is not a girl's disease. Yes, it is stigmatized, and, but it is treatable. Um, so just take it one step at a time, ask for help, seek social support, uh, because it's essential for recovery. And again, thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this issue today. It's it's really important. And um, I'm really glad that your organization is, is working towards improving the life of men living with eating disorders. Thank you very much. Great to speak to you, Kate. That brings us to the end of this episode. You can find a reference to Kate's research in the episode notes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>